Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that you provide for us. We thank you that you are with us through all of our days. Each one planned out for us before one of them came to be. We just pray today that as we hear your word, you will help us to receive it and to live it. To know your love for us shown through it. And to put our trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those who want to follow along in your own Bibles, we're continuing along in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we're judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I'll give further directions. Strong words from Paul to the church in Corinth about... The Lord's table about the way that they were going about their communion meals. 
about their attitude towards the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. Now, I don't know if you've noticed that we Christians, we talk about blood a lot more than the average person. Uh, most of our songs this morning had a part in about blood in them. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Ask a person that sentence without any context sometime. <laughs> and we drink blood, or at least a symbolic representation of it. In our gatherings together, our passage today is one of the key reasons why we talk about blood so much. And the, specifically, of course, the blood of Jesus. Paul's writing to the Corinthians about what they were doing at communion and he tells them that they're doing it so wrong that it's no longer the Lord's Supper. It's doing more harm than good. <clears throat> Instead of honouring God, it's displeasing God. When the early church had their communion, it was a little bit different <clears throat> excuse me, to what we're used to today. They met together... <clears throat> Sorry. Instead of just having... Oh. <clears throat> I've been having a little trouble shaking this ever since we had COVID a few weeks ago. This cough just hangs on. <clears throat> the early church, they didn't have a Sunday service and with a sermon and then at the end they'd have their little square of bread and their little cup of juice. Instead, uh, at certain times they would meet together for a meal, um, you know, with, with full bread and cups of wine. And they called it the love feast or, you know, the agape feast. But in Corinth, when they were coming together for these meals, Everyone was bringing a plate, but not a plate to share. Paul says, and he might have been you know, using a little bit of hyperbole, but giving this picture of some are getting drunk while others go hungry. And this picture is being proclaimed that at the Lord's table, you only get what you've brought to it. Some get heaps, more than they need, while others go hungry. And we look at this and we think, well, that's not very fair. And, you know, that was Paul's point, it's not very fair. We can forget sometimes that we live in an age where we have very egalitarian ideas of all people being equal and of all people having an equal share. And that was not what the ancient world was like. If you were, it was very classist. And if you were higher class than somebody else, you deserved to have more than somebody else. And they just had to, you know, know their place. And Jesus, his teaching changed all of that. He came along and he taught that no person that followed him was more important than any other. That no person was more special than any other. But, you know, a thousand years of culture doesn't go away overnight. 
And we see this church is still doing things according to the culture of the world around them instead of the way that Jesus has taught them. And all of these problems uh, in, this, in this communion meal are made worse by the divisions that we already know exist between this church and some of them thinking that you know, the other factions within the church don't even have God's approval at all. So why would we give them any food? Paul says to them, when you show this disregard for your brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not the Lord's Supper. You imagine we're throwing a meal in somebody's honour. Who should I pick on? Don and Rhonda. Let's say we're throwing a meal in, in Don and Rhonda's honour. And, and we're having a big meal to say, you know, thank you to them for all that they've done and for being a part of our family. And we decided to get, um, you know, Barchi and Andrew and uh, <laughs> Darren. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, Mia and all of the ones that are around here. And, and they're there at the meal and we tell them, that's great, you can, you can serve everybody and you can bring all the food out and you don't get to eat any. How honoured would Don and Rhonda feel about that? I think they'd probably be a little bit put out about the way that we're treating their family, even as we're professing to be honouring them. And that's kind of the problem, isn't it? That these other people who were being neglected were also God's sons and daughters. And these, the, this church thought they were honouring God while neglecting their brothers and sisters. Now today in our church we don't have a full meal. We actually did do that once we had like a full meal and we had communion as part of that and that was really good but most of the time we do the, the little, little piece of bread and the little cup of juice and everybody gets the same and, and nobody's going to be getting drunk off of the, the tiny shot glass of grape juice. And part of the reason that a lot of churches have gone to that model is, is probably largely in response to this passage and talking about, you know, go and eat your full meal at home and then when you have the Lord's Supper, let it just be the Lord's Supper. But just because we don't have a meal where, you know, we're not sharing and things like that, does that mean that we have nothing to worry about in terms of what Paul is talking about here? Does it mean that we can't make the same mistake that the Corinthians were making? Well, it's true we can't make exactly the same mistake while there was no meal. But if we're not careful, we can have the same heart that the Corinthians had. Where we put ourselves up above other Christians. Where we have a heart of pride. Where we're self-centred and only care about what I'm getting and not about what the rest of the church is getting. Where we have an attitude of division and causing controversy and tearing apart the church. It might play out differently today than what it did in the, last, in the Lord's Suppers in the Corinthian churches. But we do want to be on our guard that we don't have that same heart. 
So in response to all of these problems, Paul reminds the Corinthians what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be. And so he takes us all back to what Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed. The night where Judas would bring the soldiers to arrest him in Gethsemane. Where he would be taken before the Jewish Sanhedrin, the high council. Before he would be, then on the Friday morning, taken before Pilate. And whipped and beaten. And then taken to be crucified. On this night that Jesus was betrayed, he was eating the Passover meal with his disciples. And he took the very symbolic elements of the Passover meal, where every part of the meal has some special meaning, reminding them of how God has saved them, how God had saved their people out of Egypt and out of slavery and brought them to their own land. And so he's taken the symbolic elements of this meal and given them a new meaning. This is my body. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Now there are some churches that take those phrases quite literally to mean that there is some literal sense in which the bread that we eat and the juice or the wine that we drink is in some literal sense the body and the blood of Christ. Um, most, most notably, the Catholics hold that view, that it is quite literally that way, even though it tastes like bread and juice. And the Lutherans have a view that's not quite that, but kind of that, where the real presence of the Lord's body and blood is in, with, and under the elements, and uh, in some sort of really metaphysical way. But we know, of course, that Jesus was no stranger to using metaphors. That Jesus was no stranger to using pictures and symbols. And that as he's eating a highly symbolic meal, he takes these things that are used for the remembrance of something else. And he says to the disciples, now these will be used to remember me. The cup and the wine, the bread, Jesus' body and Jesus' blood were given for us the day after he ate this meal with his disciples. And his body hung on a cross with nails through his hands and his feet. With his blood coming from those wounds in his hands and his feet and also from all of the places where he'd been scourged and beaten before that happened. All of this given for you and for me. That's what Jesus said on the night before. This is my body, which is for you. He did it all for us, his people. So that we might have a new covenant in his blood a new relationship with God, a new arrangement with God for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be his people. Salvation through substitution. 
where the, the punishment that we deserved was put on somebody else, a substitute who took our place. And the reward that he deserved given to us our sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus and a new relationship with God where he can say you are my people and I am your God and Jesus did all of this for us and then he said the night before all of this happened do this in remembrance of me Now, he doesn't tell us, do this in remembrance of me because necessarily he thought his disciples would forget that he died on the cross. Remembrance, particularly in the sense it's used in the Bible, is about a very active recalling to mind. It's about reflecting, having that time to reflect over and over again as we meet together on how central to our lives of how important to all that God has done in this world was the body and the blood of Christ given for us. We do it because it's good for us to be continually reminded, not because we'd forgotten, but because of how important it is. And as we take communion, those of us who believe in Jesus, it's, it's an invitation, each of us, to almost renew that covenant, like renewing our vows with God as we remember what that covenant cost. So what makes, up, what makes the Lord's Supper really the Lord's Supper? That we stop and we remember what Jesus has done. Do this in remembrance of me. And the other aspect Paul tells us at the end, when we eat this together, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. When we do the Lord's Supper, when we have communion, we, we tell the gospel, not with words, but with this picture of his body given for us, his blood shed for us. That by eating and drinking those things, we have entrance into the family of God. Reminds us that the, the way to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the, the, the celebration for all of eternity, is through this humble meal that Jesus calls us to. And so Paul has told the Corinthian church, this is what it's all about. This is what I have received and what I have passed on to you about what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be. And so in light of the problems he's addressing, he then turns to give them a real, really important warning. Because the gospel that the Corinthians were preaching through their communion was a false one was one where God cared more about some than others. It was about where the body and the blood was more for some than for others. So Paul warns them against eating or drinking 
in an unworthy manner. Now sometimes you read that and you think, what does it mean to eat the bread or to drink the cup in an unworthy manner? Does that mean that if I've sinned last night or this morning on the way to church and yelled at, you know, swore at a motorist to cut me off, does that mean I'm unworthy of participating in the Lord's Supper today? Does it mean we have to stir ourselves into some super spiritual state before we can have the Lord's Supper? Well, I think the context for what it means to eat and drink in an unworthy manner has already been given to us in this passage. It's about people who were just wanting to feast and didn't care about remembering Jesus' body and his blood and who didn't care about their brothers and sisters in Christ in sharing this meal with them. Because if they remembered what Jesus had done, they wouldn't have been able to be that selfish. Instead, Paul says, before you come to eat this meal, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And again, that might sound like examining ourselves to see if like, we've been good enough. We needed the body and the blood precisely because we're not good enough. So it's not about examining whether we've been good enough this week. It's about that examining, that stopping and reflecting about, am I putting my trust in Jesus? And if this, this cup is the new covenant in his blood, this is the sign of the covenant, this is just for people who have chosen, uh, have chosen to follow Jesus. Am I, am I recommitting to that covenant today? Even though, of course, like salvation is a one-time deal, but it's also repentance and, and following Jesus is also a daily thing. And am I giving my agreement to that today? Am I willing to, to re-sign that covenant today. Now Paul also tells the Corinthians that not discerning the body of Christ brings judgment. Those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now this is only a small point in, like, it's not the central point of this passage, but I do want to speak to it quickly. Because there's this idea Paul brings in of like people in the church are getting sick and dying because they are treating the Lord's Supper poorly. Because they're, they're being, you know, it's not the Lord's Supper and they're, they're showing their disregard for God in it. Which, I, you know, I'm a person who has uh, had wrestling with anxiety and things in my life. And sometimes the last thing I need to hear is that sickness has come upon you because you were sinful. Now I think we need to take what Paul says here very seriously. God can choose to bring discipline upon his children by sending sickness or even death. 
But we do need to be very careful that we don't take this as that every sickness is God's judgment. Every sickness is we've upset God in some way. And if I just redress the balance and make things right, then I'll get better. It can be judgment, but not always. So if we do have a sickness, and like I don't think God is sending colds upon us for you know, our sin, but if you were to be seriously sick, it can be worth stopping to reflect to see whether there might be anything God would be disciplining you for. But also don't assume that that has to be it because sometimes he does allow us to go through sickness and trials. To have a thorn in our flesh that won't be taken away no matter how many times we pray about it. So I wanted to speak to that just because I didn't want anybody to be too anxious about what was being said there. But also to take it seriously. And to stop and reflect. And it's worth seeing too, just in in finishing talking about that point of God's judgment, is that the purpose of God's judgment was to restore, not to punish. That he, he closes that section by saying, when we're judged in this way by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. But that, like I said, is only a small point of this passage. The main question was about that examining ourselves before we eat the elements of the communion meal and to make sure that we discern the body of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Is that talking about the physical presence? Is that, you know saying that we have to all be like the Catholics to discern the body of Christ, to look at it until it actually appears to our eyes to be flesh and blood? Does it mean the spiritual presence, that God is somehow spiritually present, or that Jesus is spiritually present with us somehow in the elements of the communion meal, in the same way that we say he's spiritually present in a special way through his word being proclaimed? That's the view of of most of the reformers and most of the Protestant churches. For some, they say, these are symbolic and there's nothing in the bread or in the cup themselves that is special. But it's the remembrance, it's the obedience, it's the time in reflecting and remembering what God has done. That is spiritual. Discerning the body of Christ in the context of this whole passage is about remembering that this isn't just a meal. That we're not just hanging out with our mates and having food together. Discerning the body of Christ is about stopping to remember that we're doing this for a special reason. To remember Christ. It's about, you know, thinking it's not just a snack because we're a little bit hungry at the end of church, but it's done to honour him. Don't eat and drink thoughtlessly as if, you know, we're just picking at something because we're a bit peckish. 
But it isn't so much that the bread and the juice is particularly special. It's that the occasion, the reason we do it is special. But there's also something significant. He doesn't say... Just trying to find the exact verse, sorry. He doesn't say, those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ and the blood of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. He only says the body of Christ. Those who discern the body of Christ. Who's the body of Christ? The church is the body of Christ. And were the Corinthians discerning the body of Christ in the way that they were behaving towards one another? So as we come around the Lord's table, let's examine ourselves and our hearts. Examine the covenant that we have to be God's people and he'll be our God. And if we're happy to put our name to that once more. Let's reflect on Jesus and remember what he's done and proclaim his death through these symbolic elements. And let's discern his body, that this is a special occasion and that his body is here in this room, his people that he has brought together, the church for which he died. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your body given for us and your blood shed for us. We thank you for just the incredible love that that shows. We pray that as we come together to remember you, that we do it to your glory, that we do it with love, for our brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters who you've brought us together with. We pray that you'll help us to examine our hearts faithfully, not making sure that we're perfect or good enough, but that we're continuing to find our hope and our trust in you and in your blood given for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment we are going to come around the Lord's table and share that meal together, but first we're going to sing Jesus Messiah, his body the bread, his blood the wine, broken and poured out all for us.